we're so thankful for his ministry uh, an hour north of us and just how they have been a gospel uh, light and witness uh, in that community for many, many years, much longer than we've been around. Um, so uh, he's here this morning, uh, drove up early uh, to minister God's word to us this morning. And so why don't we welcome him with a word, uh, with a gracious and loving welcome from Lighthouse. Thank you so much, uh, Ted, for that introduction, and uh, thank you, uh, elders and the congregation of Lighthouse Bible, for giving me the opportunity to come back again to share the uh, the pulpit here and to preach the Word of God to you. Uh, I give you, send you our greetings from San Francisco Bible Church, and I know some of you have uh, relationships, family, friends uh, there, and so we are glad to continue to partner in the gospel with you as you faithfully serve the Lord here in this part of the Bay Area. Anyways, it's, uh, it is a joy to be here again. I'm so thankful that uh, your leaders invited me back uh, after uh, last time, so it's great. Last time I was in, I had preached out of the book of Numbers, and this morning I'm going to preach out of the book of Hebrews today. So if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2. I'm currently preaching through this series, even at uh, SF Bible, and it is a joy uh, there to work through this book. It's one of those books that I was always uh, afraid to preach through. Uh, not that uh, I wasn't ever going to touch it, but it's a book that requires a, a good grasp of the Old Testament. And uh, there are so many quotes. Almost every chapter has some Old Testament quote. And you want to just, you don't want to just gloss over it. You want to understand it. And the more you understand these Old Testament truths, we, we see really how, uh, how the, the New Testament, the New Covenant is really a fulfillment of all uh, that the Old Covenant pointed to in Christ. So we're glad that uh, I can bring this message to you. Uh, pray that the Lord would uh, use it to speak to each of you here um, and whichever way that he wills. It's always a little daunting to preach to a congregation that I've not met before. I, I don't know what's going on in your lives. That's why it's always appropriate for every church to have their own elders and their own pastors preach to them because they can look out in the crowd, they can see a face, and they know exactly what you're going through. And when I look at some of your faces, there are many of them strange. I'm searching for a familiar face. I keep coming back to Kevin up here. I'm sure there's somebody else out there that is familiar to me uh, and to, to connect with you. But I'm going to trust the Spirit of God as we, as, uh, we pray this morning. We'll take his word, and he knows you. And he knows what you need to hear. And he's going to connect his word to your soul this morning. Well, it's uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to take my glasses off. I need to look at my, be able to look at my notes a little bit better. I'm getting older. Uh, in our recent elders meeting, uh, we have elders meeting once in a while, and we have various discussions over various matters of Christ's church. Uh, and we were discussing, just doing analysis. We had, we had recently had our uh, ministry leaders meeting, and we had discussed the various strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. You do a SWOT analysis of your, of, minis of your, probably your businesses. Sometimes you probably do it in church. It's just a a method for evaluating the health of a church and what's the status of a church. And I asked our fellow elders to share with me, with us, what is one strength, weakness, opportunity, threat that you uh, sense or perceive for us a Bible? And there was one threat that was shared in our meeting, and it, it was shared and it stood out because of simply of its simplicity. 
It's simplicity and it's yet it's truth. This one elder shared that the threat that most concerned him would be that we as a church would lose our love for Christ. That the things of the world around us we'd get so caught up with that we would forget that we, love of Christ is to be first and foremost on our hearts. Sure, we would continue to go to church. We would continue to go about doing what we do in the Christian life. But we would forget that our love for Christ is to be first. A mature church with many services, ministries, biblical doctrine, gifted leaders, much activity and people can nevertheless slowly lose their first love. And this was true of the church in Ephesus, if you recall. And that's where we get that idea of losing your first love from in Revelation 2. And this can happen to SF Bible. And this can happen to Lighthouse Bible. Like a raft in the ocean, the church never stays right where it's at. It is always in danger of drifting away. And so how can we guard ourselves from drifting away from our love for Christ? Our passage this morning in Hebrews chapter 2 provides for us an answer. And so let's open your, if you have not already, open your Bibles to Hebrews. And we'll look then at the Word of God. Listen to what the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape? if we neglect so great a salvation. After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. The letter of Hebrews was written to professing Christians of Hebrew or Jewish background. They were a people who were living in a time of persecution and they were in the midst of persecution being tempted to fall away from Jesus back to the safety of their old covenant practices of Judaism. And the author in this book of Hebrews explains from, in fact, the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures in particular, how Jesus is far better, superior, than any old covenant practice and ritual that they had once held dearly to. And interspersed throughout his explanations of the superiority of Christ from the scriptures are exhortations, or we call them warnings, to his readers to not fall away. There are five such passages. If you're, if I'm sure you've studied Hebrews. There are five such passages in Hebrews 2, 3, 6, 10, and 12, of which today's passage is the first of the five warning passages of Hebrews. In chapter 1, Hebrews has taught us that Jesus is the final word of God. 
He is as the final word of God, much better than the angels whom Jewish people understood to be the, the mediators of the old covenant word of God. And since he is, and since he is the final word of God, he is far better than those angels. And so having shown that Christ is better than the angels in the old covenant that they had brought, because Jesus is the final word, the author now moves to this exhortation in chapter 2. It's an exhortation that encourages the saints to primarily to not drift away. Do not drift away. That word is real subtle, right? And that's a great, just a picture of this. It's, just, it's the title of our sermon. It's really just the picture that we, we should perceive. It's, you don't have to do anything to drift away. You just do. If you just kind of sit there, you can drift away. You sit in a, in a body of water that's a moving body of water, you will drift away. Do not drift away. And so as we look at this passage this morning, and these four verses are pretty brief, we're going to look at three considerations that will guard us from drifting away from Christ. Three considerations that will guard us from drifting away from Christ. So let's take a look at these three considerations that you and I can uh, grasp this morning. And the first consideration for us to grasp that guards us from drifting away is in found in verse 1. And that is our attention to the word of Christ. Our attention to the word of Christ. In verse 1, we read that for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. The phrase, for this reason, indicates that what follows relates to what has preceded. All basically includes all of chapter 1 is that reason. He's made the case that Jesus Christ, God's Son, is the final word. He's the last word. He's the final word superior to angels. So then because Christ is God's final word, greater than the angels, then this is what we must do. This is this is picture of a final word. Someone just asked me this morning about my family, my parents, and I and I told and I told uh, answered that my parents are are with the Lord. They were both passed away, and I remember when they passed, and they said many things throughout my life, but I remember their final words. I remember the things that they said last to me when they still had a clear mind or, or at a time to sit down and want to tell me things. Final words are things that we must pay attention to. And Jesus is God's final word. And so what therefore the exhortation is, because Jesus is the final word, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. By using the, the notice, the pronoun we, the author of Hebrews includes himself in this exhortation. See, the danger of drifting away is a reality for all. The danger of drifting was not for just other people. And this isn't, a, this isn't a suggestion. This is something we must do. We must pay much closer attention. It's an obligation for all of us as believers. The verb pay attention means to give heed to something. In this case, we are to give much closer heed to what we have heard. And what is that that we have heard? We learned from verse 2 that it's, it's not the word spoken through angels which this alludes to the Old Testament law. But from verse 3, we gather that this message is a, a message that we have heard about the subject of salvation. It's a message of salvation that was 
spoken through the final word, through the Lord Jesus. Or we might simply say it is the word of Christ. It's the word from Christ, about Christ. It's the word of Christ that began with, the, with his teaching throughout his um, earthly ministry and includes what the apostles wrote about Christ following his death and resurrection. But the heart of the message that we are to pay much closer attention to is the message of salvation. We're to pay attention to this message of salvation, not a message about what politics we're to be involved in, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. It's not a message about what self-help or 10 steps or 12 steps that you may take to a better Christian life. It's not a message about social justice, which whose lives matter or what we should protest or, or, or stand up against. Our message that we must pay much closer attention above all other messages is a message of salvation. A message of salvation. In fact, when Mark records the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he wrote this about what Jesus was all about. Mark 1, 14 to 15. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus came to preach the good news, the good news of salvation from sin, deliverance from evil, entrance into the kingdom of God. That is his message, and that is, that is our message that we must pay much closer attention to. Now, I know if you're a Christian here, and I'd love to ask, who's here a Christian? I'm sure many of you would raise your hands. You would probably be able to acknowledge if you're a member of this church, then you probably understand that this is a fundamental truth, the message of salvation, right? The message of the gospel. However, as young, growing Christians, we often start to take this gospel for granted. We start thinking of it as an elementary truth to move on from instead of an essential truth to hold on to. Don't miss that. It's, yes, it is elementary, but it's not elementary to be moved on to. The gospel is essential to be held on to. Hold on to it all your lives. Many of you are so long, young, you're still starting your life, and I praise God for this church, and I, I look forward to seeing what the Lord will do through, through your lives as you minister in this body. But life is long. And eventually you will get some of you get in your 40s and, and 50s and 60s and 70s. I get to see it. And that's a Bible. We have a whole first generation of folks that are in their 70s. And they, there have been many, many occasions throughout their life. I've got to see it over the last 25 years. Moments where tr troubles and trials in this world will, will have tempted them to fall away. And some have. Some have not and have held firm. And the ones that hold firm are those that paid much closer attention to the word of Christ, to the gospel. And we do this so that we do not drift away. This verb drift away is found only here in the New Testament. And we've already alluded to it, but it has this idea of relation to water. It means to flow by, slip away, be washed away, drift away. It pictures a ship that isn't anchored and, and thus drifting out into sea. If we fail to pay attention to the word of Christ, 
we are in danger of drifting away. Now, I know that the idea about drifting away is no one intentionally does that. It happens gradually, almost imperceptibly. And I want to share with you, just as I reflect upon this, how, is this, how does this happen? And I thought about, and I've, I want to share with you three subtle ways that we drift away. How do we drift away? Number one, we drift away when we focus on our desires and pleasures. We drift away when we focus on our desires and pleasures. Number, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, Paul warns that in the last days, men will become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They love the things that give them delight. They love the things that, that just make them happy. And that is what our world is all about, isn't it? You do what makes you happy, and I will do what makes me happy. When we all ought to do what makes God happy, and when we do what God makes God happy, that will make us happy and blessed. But one chapter later, Paul tells Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season, 2 Timothy 4, 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. When we pursue our own desires or the things that make us happy at the expense as the primary, uh, that we will drift away from the word of Christ and seek after teachers that will tell us what we want to hear, that will affirm our own selfish desires and pleasures. Of course, it's not just these sinful desires and pleasures. It can be just any normal human desires, even the desires to have, for, to pursue, to have children, desire to, to, um, to uh, grow in our field of work, to excel in school, to do well in sports. These things are desires and not necessarily evil in themselves. But when we put our desires above our desire for Christ, that leads us to drift away. Secondly, we also drift away when we focus on our service or our activity, what we do. And this is illustrated by the story of Mary and Martha. While Martha was distracted, of course, uh, with her preparation for dinner, Jesus was in your house. If Jesus was in my house, yeah, I'd go to Costco right away and get all the prime rib and all the good, you know, lobster. I'd want to serve him the best meal I could ever make, and that, that wouldn't be too good, but... He would do me my best. It's about being faithful. I remember that. About being faithful. I don't want to serve the rest. And that's what Martha was doing. She was serving the, doing her best to serve Jesus who was worthy. Her best meal. The best dinner that she could host him with. And she was active and she was so caught up in the things that she was doing. But she forgot the most important thing. Which her sister had not. Had remembered. Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to his word. And when Martha eventually got so flustered and frustrated because she was just so caught up in doing things for the Lord, she complained to Jesus and said to him, we read this in Luke 10, 41 to 42, after, after her complaint, but the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Sometimes we can get so caught up in the things we're doing, even for the, for the Lord, that we neglect 
our love for the Lord, our love for Christ. That can cause us to drift away. You've, 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 some of you who served long enough, you may experience that as well. Thirdly, we also drift away when we focus on just fighting, refuting false doctrine. Now, this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. We ought to refute and fight false doctrine. But if you recall the words of Jesus to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2 to 3, he commended them. He commended them for their perseverance against false apostles and teachers. Yet, despite their deeds, Jesus condemns them for having left their first love. And I don't have time to read the verse. I think I put it up on the slide, though. You see, these people in Ephesus, they have the right doctrine, which equipped them to refute the, the false teachers all around them. They were able to point out, hey, that, that's, that's not the gospel of grace. That's, that's error. That's heresy. Oh, see, oh, that, that's modalism. That's, that's wrong. Oh, see, that, that's works righteousness. That, that's, that's an error. The, these people are her, heretical. and They're teaching false doctrine. They should be corrected. They were equipped to fight the false teachers, and they did that faithfully. But they had forgotten what Paul had written to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.5, who, by the way, was the shepherd of the church in Ephesus. All this instruction, all this doctrine is for a purpose. The goal, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal of our instruction is not to tell others exactly how they're wrong, primarily, though you, it, that is part of what instruction does. The goal of our instruction is not to, to fight error and heresy, though that is what we do. But the goal of our instruction, the main thing of our instruction is love. Love for the Lord, love for God, love for Christ, love for others, even. From a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. These are some ways, and there are others. We can probably discuss them uh, among in your, in your families and small groups later on that we can drift away f- from Christ. And it's, the drift, drifting away is, is, a, is a danger that all of us face if we're not focusing our attention on the Word of Christ. It may not happen overnight. It may take many years, in fact. But it may be the numerous choices we make to focus on our desires, on our activities, even for the Lord. Thank you, brother. May focus on our right doctrine, even. And all these things, instead of on the word of Christ, that draws us to faith and love for God. That's the, that's the first consideration. Our attention. Are we paying attention to the word of Christ? We all have Bibles. We have many Bibles. Are we paying attention to this message of Christ? Are we meditating on it, reading it, being involved and in thinking about how we need it every day? Or is this just something I needed when I got saved and then I moved on from that? We need it every day of our lives. So let's move on. A second consideration that will guard us from drifting away from Christ is found in verse 2 and 3, and that is the accountability for the Word of Christ. For those who have the Word of Christ, there is an accountability 
for the word of Christ. Verse 2 and 3, we read that for the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The author now uses a common form of reasoning of from lesser to greater to emphasize the need to pay attention to the word of Christ. The lesser argument involves the word spoken through angels. And that's simply a phrase that, we, that refers to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament law. New Testament Jews believe that the law of Moses was mediated by and delivered by angels, through angels. And although angels are not mentioned in the giving of the law in Exodus itself explicitly, we read in other places, Jewish literature, ancient Jewish writings, historian Josephus, for instance, that mentions this tradition that angels delivered the law to Moses. This tradition is even confirmed in, alluded to in the, in the New Testament by Stephen's words in Acts 7.53 and Paul's words in Galatians 3.19. And so there is this picture that these angels were the ones who delivered the Old Testament to Moses. The word spoken through angels. That's, where, that's what it refers to. It's for this reason why the Jewish people highly regarded the angels because they were the, they were the first messengers. They were the messenger of God. They were the ones who delivered the law to Moses and through Moses to us. And in regard to the law, it wasn't an unalterable law, wasn't it? It wasn't something that could be, was just a suggestion, but it was law. They couldn't pick and choose which ones they wanted to apply. Whenever they transgressed or disobeyed God's law, they received a just and fair penalty. If you ever study the book of Numbers, as, uh, as the Bible had uh, the years previous, we saw how whenever Israel sinned, God judged them. They didn't obey the Lord to enter the promised land. You remember? They were too afraid to enter the promised land. They were punished with death, with wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They greedily craved for meat. God gave them quail along with a plague. They were impatient and complained. And God sent snakes to bite them. They worshiped and acted immorally with false idols. And 23,000 were killed in one day. Even the individual sins were punished justly. A man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath in violation of God's Sabbath laws. And he was stoned to death. Korah rebelled against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. And he and his household were swallowed up by the earth. Each transgression and disobedience of God's law receives and deserves and receives a just penalty. So if transgression of the law spoken by angels received a just penalty, that's the argument of the lesser, to the argument of the greater, how much more then when there is transgression of the greater word spoken by the final word, God's Son? To be exact, the author's words are, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The escape here that is mentioned is escape from judgment. It's escape from the just penalty for whenever we violate or when we transgress the final word, the word of Christ. The answer to this rhetorical question is that there is no escape. How shall we escape? We won't. 
If we don't pay attention to the word of Christ and if we drift away, if we start neglecting the great salvation that he offers, we think of it, that's just an elementary thing. I'm moving beyond that. I'm moving to the next level of my theological understanding. If we forget that message of the gospel, that we are sinners in need of God's mercy and grace that is only found in Christ through his death and resurrection on our behalf, if we neglect this message of salvation, we ignore it, we forget about it, we, we start moving on to other things that is not the message of salvation, and that message is a message that damns. It will not, it will, the gospel will end with the generation that had it first, and because it's never passed on. If we don't pay attention to the word of Christ and drift away and we neglect the great salvation that he offers, then there is no escape from God's judgment. This Greek word here for neglect is used three other times in the New Testament. And one has one particular use in Matthew 22, 5 stands out. It is in the context of the parable of the wedding feast. Remember that parable where the king invites people to his son's wedding feast? But then we read in 22, verse 5, though the king was inv had invited them to his son's wedding feast, they paid no attention. That's our word. Pay no attention. Neglect. And went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. To neglect the message of salvation, the word of Christ, is to pay no attention like those rude wedding guests. And they received a just penalty for their sin. See, those who hear and receive the word of Christ, like you and me this morning even, are accountable for the words that we receive. If we don't pay attention to this, his word of salvation, if we drift away from it, if you neglect it, if you ignore it, then you will not escape his judgment. And this is a very strong thing to say. Because it is at this point that somebody says, well, wait, wait a moment, wait a moment, wait a moment. I believed in Jesus already. I've already believed in Jesus. I, I'm saved. I know that. So how do you say if I neglect and then neglect God's word and I drift away, then I'm in danger? How can that be? Does a, can a Christian lose their salvation? Is that what you're saying, Henry? No, that's not what I'm saying. But the pre, for the prevalence of New Testament passages teaches the security of the believer they're pretty significant. I'll just list them some for you, and uh, I won't read them all. I don't think I have time, but John 6, 37, I'll read a couple. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And uh, let's see. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 5, you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And or G24, now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. See, God is, saves those whom he wills, and God is able to save forever all those that he gives to the Son. So a Christian can't lose their salvation. Then how do we make sense of this warning that we've just tried to explain to you? And the other warnings in Hebrews... First of all, we must remember, think, be aware that they are addressed to Christians. They are a warning to us as Christians. Remember, the author even includes himself in the warning. He says, we, we, how shall we escape? That he himself is also in danger 
if he neglects this message of salvation. And we come to understand this, and you probably heard it before, is that among the, everyone who professes faith in Christ, we would say, well, that's a believer in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And while, and while we can hear what someone says outwardly and see some of the, the deeds that they do outwardly, none of us can ever see into each one's heart. I cannot see into yours. You cannot see into mine. And none of us can with 100% certainty say, yes, I know and guarantee that you're a believer. We can have assurance of it by what we see in the fruits. But yet, at the same time, none of us can absolutely see because fruits and outward behavior can also be faked. And it could also just be simply outward behavior that does not reflect what's in the heart. So then, on the one hand, then, these warnings serve to encourage genuine believers the warning is so severe that it, it warns us to continue following Christ and not drift away. And on the other hand, the warnings serve to encourage those believers who are in their heart are not really believers, not genuine believers, of the coming judgment that, that will come upon them if they do not repent and turn to Christ. I think of this, the best way to put this is, it's like those parking lot uh, signs here, see, you know, we go up to parking lot signs. There's this parking lot by the church. It's so empty all the time. I'm so tempted to park there all the time because uh, it's just empty. And you know, if you're from SF, you know, an empty parking lot. Like, what? I'm going to park there. I didn't get away with it. But there's these signs in this parking lot. It says, violators will be towed. Okay, I don't know if it exactly says that, but you know, it has that kind of warning. Now, of course, I'm a pastor, so I'm never going to park in that parking lot. Never, never, never. God help me. But that sign serves as a warning for me. Though I may never park in that, it is serves as a sign because I don't want my car ever to be towed away. But it is nevertheless, it serves as a warning for those who would ever actually park their car in that parking lot, that their car, eventually, you leave there long enough, it's going to get towed away. Violators, will be towed. Sinners will be judged. If you have been drifting away from Christ, if you have been neglecting the message of salvation that Christ proclaimed, if you have been putting on uh, the priorities on your your own desires and pleasures rather than on Christ, this passage, these verses are God's warning for you. How will you escape if you neglect, continue to neglect so great a salvation? And the answer is there won't be. And you may find out that what you thought you had was that you were self-deceived, that you never really had genuine faith. Lastly, we have to arrive at our last, last consideration that will guard us from drifting away from Christ. And that is, in verse 3 to 4, the affirmation of the word of Christ. The affirmation of the word Christ. This word that, is, that we must pay close attention to, this word that is, we are all held accountable to, is a word that was worthy of being held because it is affirmed for us. It's not just, a, it's not just any other human word. There's, a, there's an affirmation of this word from God. 
We read in the middle of verse 3, after it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. As of responding to the possible challenge to the authenticity and authority of the word of Christ, the author proceeds to describe for us, the reader, what, why you can believe in the word of Christ. And everyone will eventually come get there as a believer. You may take it, as, especially if you're a child, you came to faith as a child, you, you take it by faith from your parents, your parents told you you believe the word. But eventually in your mind, as you, as you develop, you're going to ask yourself, is this really the word of Christ? And if you're a young believer, then you'll eventually get there. You're gonna, there may come across a time where you're going to start questioning, is this really the word of Christ? Hope in those times when that time's going, you come back to these verses. Because these verses remind us how God's word is the word of Christ. This is why you can believe three arguments are presented here. This is the affirmation of the word of Christ. First of all, it is the word of Christ because it was spoken through the Lord himself. The message of salvation did not come from angels, but it came from the Lord, Jesus Christ. It came from he who is the final word of God. Have you ever wondered, question why? Well, consider there are four gospels, four different records of what Jesus said. You can put them all together and you can see and get a really good picture of the word of Christ, of Christ's life, of Christ's, of Christ's miracles, his power, and his message. It came from the, this word that we are to pay attention to, came from the one who is the final word of Christ. This book in our hands has the final word from God and the final words of Christ. His life and his work spoke the message of salvation so that all who heard him, all who saw him through, through faith in him might come to the Father. However, as the recipients of Hebrews, they were not the first-hand eyewitness of Jesus Christ. They didn't get to see Jesus for himself. And I may tell you that, that this, these words were spoken by Christ. He said, well, I don't know. I didn't get to hear it for myself. I didn't get to see it for myself. How do I know that those are really the words of Christ? Well, secondly, the word of Christ was confirmed or attested by those who heard. So you heard, Christ spoke it because it was attested, confirmed by multiple witnesses, by those apostles. These were those who had heard firsthand. The, for, we take particularly of the 12, but there were so many other followers of Christ through that time as well. And right before Jesus said it, he told his apostles and other gathered disciples that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And then what would they be? They would be his witnesses. They would attest to what Christ did and what Christ said. And God would use these apostles to write the books of the New Testament. Paul would call these apostles the foundation of God's new holy temple, the church. And so the word of Christ was spoken through him and was confirmed by the apostles themselves. But how would anyone know that what they confirmed or wrote down was true? What if they just got together, 12 of them, and said, yeah, or however many of them, and said, let's just say this, this tell this story. And this is where thirdly, God testified to the authenticity of their word by gifting them with the miraculous sign gifts or spiritual gifts. 
the apostles were, as you recall, and reading your gospels, that they were able to perform signs and wonders and miracles when they were sent out by Jesus. They could not do it of their own accord, but they were, they were able to do it because they were sent out by Jesus. In the book of Acts, if you read that book, they, they spoke in tongues. They spoke in different languages they didn't speak before. They healed the sick, and they even raised the dead. When was the last time you met somebody who raised the dead? Never. The fact is, these, these apostles were testified were to the authenticity of their ministry by God through these miraculous sign gifts. The purpose of signs and wonders has always been to confirm the authority of the messenger, that they were sent by God. We see this in Hebrews 2 here, but 2 Corinthians 12, 12 is a good, another good passage where Paul writes, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. See, the signs of a true apostle of Christ is that they would perform miracles. So with the cessation of the apostles of Jesus and the completion of the canon of Scripture, the final word was written down, recorded for us, so that every generation could have, pay attention to the word of Christ because Christ spoke it, the apostles confirmed it, and then God testified it to it with the signs and wonders. And so we have the final word for us in our Bibles. And this is why we know that these words are true. And so the sign gifts gradually ceased with completion of Scripture, despite what our charismatic brethren would say, there is no continuation of the sign gifts, for there is no continuation of the Scripture when we look at all the scripture, and I'm sure you've been taught well here at Lighthouse, that when you see consistently, consistently through the biblical history, that miracles always can coincide with new revelation from God. Moses performed a bunch of miracles in Exodus. Elijah, Elisha, and their prophetic ministry, First and Kings, performed many miracles. Jesus and the apostles in the Gospel and Acts performed many miracles. In fact, there's going to be another time, according to scripture, where there's going to be more miracles. It's going to coincide with new revelation because the church is going to be taken up and there will be this is the time in Revelation 11 of the two witnesses who are witness of Christ. So the point is that the word of Christ is affirmed as truth because Christ spoke it. The apostles confirmed it and God testified to it by signs and wonders. Christ's message of salvation is a trustworthy message. You can hold on to this. This is not just something, it's not just any other book. It's not Moby Dick. It's not a Charles Dickens. It's, it's not, you know, some, your favorite Jane Austen novel. This is the word of God. This is words of Christ. It is a trustworthy message for all of life, for every aspect of life that you have can experience because it is ultimately a message from Christ who is our creator our God our Lord and Savior who knows us so well he knows our hearts better than we do and so he gives us what we need to feed and to nurture and to strengthen to anchor our hearts and souls it's tough to find trustworthy messages in these days in a post-COVID science world where there's been so much disagreement and doubts about what, you know, what things work and don't work and what is real and what's, the, what's, what's actually, actually the science says. 
we have become more skeptical of information that's conveyed to us anywhere we read it. We have, and I have, uh, maybe you have too. But perhaps this may also affect how you and I receive God's word, that we become skeptical even of this information that God gives to us. But whereas man's knowledge is finite, full of pride, and often prone to error, God's word is not. We can believe his message, pay much closer attention to it, for it has been affirmed to us by no less than God in Christ the apostles and the signs and wonders. And so for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to the word of Christ. I look around this room and I see a, a sea of young faces. I don't see, I don't, I'm trying to look around for, let me put on my glasses. I'm trying to see if I see any gray hairs out there. Okay, no. Forgive me if you're out there when I've missed you. When I was your age, I and those who I, you know, worshiped and served with, the idea of drifting away or falling away from Christ has probably been one of the last things on my mind. I love Jesus. We're planting a church here. We're building God's kingdom here. It's exciting work. We get to be a part of God's work. You're, I hope you're all excited about what the Lord is doing here at the Lighthouse. And I'm excited for you. But nevertheless, drifting away is real and is dangerous. You know, some of you might go uh, river rafting or rafting. Just You may go rafting on a lake or something like that. I'll end with this illustration. Getting on a raft will kill you. No. Okay. You know, all right. I was, I was with you until you got to that point, PH. You're, you're, you're wrong. That's heresy. This is where you come tackle me and take me out of the pulpit. But if you're on a raft that's on a river that is heading towards a waterfall, that drops hundreds of feet down to rocks below. Right? Sitting on a raft will kill you in that instance. Neglecting your Bible will kill you. What? Oh. That won't kill you by itself. Neglecting the Bible not, paying it, not putting Christ first, your love for Christ first, not seeking after the kingdom of God, putting your own desires before Christ, neglecting church every once in a while, it's okay. Not being as involved as I need to, I don't need to serve to be saved. And then eventually, well, I really don't need church. I just have, I believe in Jesus. All those, one, each, and each of those things of themselves will not kill you, but the gradual, subtle decisions and countless decisions that we, the priorities that we place in life, those compounded together lead towards a, dr a gradual drift that eventually leads towards that cliff that will kill your soul. 
where this passage applies. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You won't. And so don't neglect it. And I know that many of you are not. And so be like me with the violators will be told sign. Heed the warning and keep holding on to Jesus. Keep following after prayers. Do not allow yourselves to drip, drift. Hold on to the greatest treasure, the anchor of our soul, Jesus. And you will not fall away. Pay attention to the words of Christ. Go back there often. Be in it. Regularly meditate on it. And, be, and let God continue to grow you in your walk and in this church. Three couple questions I'll leave you. I don't know if I put did I put questions for you guys? Yes, I did. Oh, we did that at Essa Bible. So uh, for questions to your small groups or maybe even your families this evening, just ask yourself these questions. They're great discussion questions. Where are you in your walk with Christ today? Are you, are you firmly anchored to Jesus or, or do you feel like you're drifting away? And drifting, of course, I said this question number one, secondly, drifting is subtle and slow. What are some ways that you may be drifting away from Christ? You can think about those three ways that I shared. Maybe there are other ways that you can think of. And then thirdly, how can you pay much closer attention to the word of Christ in your life? That's just real practical. And it comes back to the word of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And thank you for these truths. May you cause us as a church to continue to hold on to Jesus, to not allow ourselves to drift away by simply just relaxing, taking the, your word for granted, considering what that which is essential as only just elementary things to move on from. Lord, I thank you the lighthouse is built strong on the gospel. I thank you, Lord, for the growth that we see here. And I, I trust, Father, that it is a true gospel growth that you have been producing through the faithful proclamation of the pastors and elders of this church to, to this community. And Lord, we do pray that even in life, as we walk along, there are gonna be many times when they, this church will be tempted, tempted to fall away, tempted to drift, tempted, tempted to simply to not put you first. And I pray that those times, may they, you cause them to be aware of the danger that they're facing and bring them back to yourself. Just as you brought the Hebrew believers back to yourself, Lord, will you bring, the, will you bring us back from those times where we wander, when we drift, Lord, we ask of you, help us be our strength, be our anchor, so that we do not drift away. In Jesus' name we pray.